0: Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast more often than not about the number one singles (laughs) in Australia in the 90s. My name is Tim Coyle and I'll be your host for this evening and joining me as usual is Danny Yao. Hello. Casey Atkins. Good evening everyone. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron.
1: You can take our lives but you could never take our podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And why would anyone want (laughs) So, as I said, more often than not, this song is about the number one singles in Australia in the 1990s. But every so often, we will have an episode where we choose our favourite songs that made the top 100 singles for any given year. And it just happens to be that particular episode this time around for 1995 uh part of the rather labyrinthine method (laughs) we use to choose who goes first and in what sequence and that kind of thing we've all chosen a movie as well as our favorite song from the year and uh danny would you care to tell us
2: what film you chose
3: uh i chose before sunrise yep
2: casey
1: uh i chose mall rats the uh kevin smith hit from the year tim byron as you may have been able to tell from uh, my opening thing, I chose Braveheart. Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: surprised, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, what uh, you choose? Yeah, I chose The Usual Suspect. Great film. Excellent. Hmm. Yep. Okay, so to get us started, what we'll do, uh, all those films correspond to a number on a four-sided die, and Danny, if you'll get us rolling. Which makes it Braveheart, which is Tim Byron. And what we usually do is we all have a bit of a guess as to what, uh, what the other folks on this podcast chose. Uh, Danny, what did you think Tim Byron was going to plump for?
3: I thought Tim was going to pick You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette.
2: Casey? I thought that he was going to be a silly bugger this time, and I thought that he would go with Cotton Eye Joe by Rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah, I thought he was going to be a silly bugger too, so I chose
0: You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what Turns out that according to Tim Coyle, I've been a silly bugger because I chose You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette.
4: <laughs> I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but the best for you both. I know the version of me Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater?
0: was Alana Morissetta? <laughs> which you ought to know. So, Tim Byron, this was your favourite song of the top 100 singles of 1995, if you care to tell us
1: why. Uh, I just have to preface that by saying it wasn't my favourite song, that someone else chose the one I was going to pick beforehand, but we'll get to that. Yeah, but you ought to know, it's a great song. It's just got that like great mix of, you know, a, a great... Performance Like, Alanis just kills this performance. Like, she's just alternately sort of, like, vindictive and kind of angry and sad. And, like, there's so many emotions in, in her vocals for this. Like, it's a very emo kind of piece. You could also, you could almost imagine, like, Taylor Swift singing this in a funny kind of way. But um, it's got that and it's got, like, the, a bunch of lyrics which are sort of here, there and everywhere. But they kind of work because it really gets that kind of headspace of someone who's just being dumped and is very angry about it. And, um, yeah, for for me in 1995, I, I heard this, um, watching Rage, or I probably saw this watching Rage, and I was like, wow, this is cool. I, I I dug the kind of anger and aggression of it, I was starting to get into angry kind of music, and, um, so yeah, I, I, I really dug this, I got the album, um, and then I heard all the other sort of singles from this, none of which kind of had the same anger as this, but, you know, I liked Ironic, uh, to an extent, and Hand in My Pocket was alright, so... Yeah, Alanis Morissette, like, to me, it's very much 90, 95, 96. It's sort of the sound of that in a lot of ways. And it's sort of, it's a bit embarrassing now. Um, it, but, like, I think this really works as a performance. Like, this is just great on this.
3: Danny? Yeah, I really liked this song back in the day. I think I was fairly unique in being one of the 30 bazillion people who bought this record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one else I knew had it. I mean, everyone had this record, didn't they? And it was yep. great. Yeah. Um, it was very rocking. It was... Uh, and, yeah, my, my I have lots of good feelings still for the album. And this song kind of got a bit overplayed um, for me in the end. I And it wasn't really the song that was the highlight for me on the album. So, I guess, yeah, I liked it. I didn't really skip it. Funnily enough, this week, wanting to listen to it and going, I have so many albums on my iPod and this one wasn't on there. I own it. I put everything else on there. I have... Many, many albums by Whitney Houston on there, and no, no, (laughs) but you know, I don't have, and it's just like I've never missed it, it's never come out on random. So, I think something about it was just like it hasn't dated well for me. Listening to it, it was kind of nostalgic this week, but yeah, not, um, not something I find myself listening to a lot anymore, Casey.
2: Yeah, I love this. I absolutely love it. I, th- I think it's a great song, and um, I thought it was great at the time. And believe it or not, yeah, I was another one of those people that had Jagged Little Pill. Really?
3: Yeah, man. It
2: was just us. I had too. Yeah. You, oh, my God. You, me, Tim Byron, and 30 million other people. And who knows about Tim Coyle? We'll get to that. Um, but no, I loved it. I, I thought it was... um I, I don't know what it was about her at the time that really um, sort of spoke to me. I think it was that kind of that anger and that, um... that force, and she could just... just amazingly, um believable performance um and it was just really really rocking um and listening to it this week i had all of those kind of same feelings but one really interesting thought that i did have you remember a couple of weeks ago when we listened to um insensitive by Jan Arden yeah um, which was that real kind of and we talked about how like whoever she wrote that about was probably like like ooh like you know really quaking in his boots kind of thing and this wouldn't have really hit yeah. the mark for him yeah this will yeah. do it This will do it. And it did. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And indeed it did. Yeah. So I think
0: Casey's comparison with the Jan Arden songs, a pretty apt one. Um, And the idea that whoever had, whoever had that song written about him really wouldn't have been too perturbed. The guy who had this written about him is still somewhere in a cabin in New Hampshire, (laughs) seeing if he can write it out. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I loved it at the time basically because it was just such a furious song and a great performance, it really floored me. It's not something that you would usually expect from a female singer, especially a young one. She was 20 at the time. Gosh, she recorded, was too.
2: You're right. Which, yeah. Wow. yeah,
0: is, when you think about it, quite quite yeah. eye-opening. And, yeah, just to throw herself as fully into this song as she did was, was quite amazing. Uh, listening to it this week... Uh, It's a funny one because in a similar way to to danny um i've heard it so many times that the the record and the recording itself is dated so much that there's elements of what we spoke about last week with wonderwall is just that a lot of the emotional connection you have with the song just peters out after a bit just from it being so wildly overplayed but even with that and even with the the backing track and the arrangement which I don't feel hold up very well oh really? yeah no I don't Um, Flea's just kind of doing his usual (laughs) sludgy funk thing yeah kind of which you know that's what you get you get what you pay for with that guy yeah (laughs) um, but in spite of all that this performance is just so ferocious Mm. that it comes through and I still enjoy it and I still marvel at how amazing it is, and yeah, I, I've got. Um, I had nothing but positive reactions to listening to it this week, in <laughs> spite of everything.
1: <laughs> did you have Jack Little? Pill <laughs> I as did. Well? Yeah, that's Little. all of us. <laughs> so, yeah. Four out of four. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's, it's it's funny with Jack Little Pill because um yeah, like you saying like um like Danny talking about how he didn't have this one in his iPod. Like, this is a an album that I bought on CD, and I had on CD, and sometime in the last 15 years or something, it's just disappeared. Yeah. Like, I don't know where this CD went, and I obviously have never thought about the fact that I'd lost this CD somewhere until now. Yeah. Like, I, it, it was just missing somewhere, and I had it, and it's gone, and where is it? Who knows?
0: Which, which all fits with, I guess, what I'll... Is the next question about Alanis Morissette and her career subsequent to And this. where is she now? Well, so to we, we kind of know where she yeah. is now, but. She's in Skidducks
2: somewhere. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> given,
0: given the success of this song and just given what an amazing song it is, um, just for her career to have gone the way it has is quite um quite remarkable i remember we've spoken about both prince and michael jackson that they had this slow decline that they became a punchline over yeah. a a matter of 10 years or so whereas with the Morris it happened on one album yeah that was kind of the 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 way things worked uh, the pace that things worked at in 1995 I don't-
1: and it really kind of was the thing with Alana. So when she had the follow-up album and she had the um, the song "Thank You" yep. uh, with the with the video where she was naked in it, it was just kind of like everyone was just kind of done.
2: It, it happened really quickly, didn't it? And I think that she yeah. um, it was. I think possibly that whole thing, even though she was only very young, but that whole thing of how many years you have to write your first record and then you've got two years to write your second record, and it's just no yeah. and it's just nowhere close for whatever yeah. reason. Uh, do we know what kind of input Glenn Ballard
0: had on, on the second up I don't
4: know. He was on it. Because he, he was, was, it was, because he it. was
1: quite integral. Well, he was. He, he integral was, to he was yeah. kind of 80% of that first record, I think. Well. Yeah. Well, he he produced the album and he he co-wrote You Ought to Know. He, co- co- he co-wrote for all people the playing the songs. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but people... Glenn Ballard, for people playing at home, um, was a, a standard kind of producer-writer kind of guy. He's got a credit on uh, Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. Right. He's uh, got a credit on like Hold On by Wilson Phillips, if I remember yeah, correctly, like, and has worked with
3: people like that. I kind of think 95 people have a credit on Man on the Mirror. <laughs> like, we've, like, got a, we've got a credit on He's yeah. <laughs> like, I did the A minor. Um, yeah. I, I think there's something about this that reminds me of Tapestry, which is another sort of... Huge record sold in the bazillions in which Alanis Morrison Mm. didn't even really have to try again.
1: Yeah, after this
3: record, she even went if she did a new album because she's a musician and she wanted to, she wasn't going to be doing interviews with Drum Media and Juice and Rolling Stone again. She'd do one interview for Sunrise, yeah. And if radio didn't play it, who gives a fuck? I'm not going to go and go to the radio station and play the song acoustically Mm. for the head of the radio company. Like she's though. So in the end, she did the
1: Jacket little pill acoustic album in two thousand and five, or something. <laughs> but still, she'd be richer than,
3: like, she sold thirty million records. And she yeah. has, and she did uh, and has writing
2: credit on pretty much the whole record. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. she
3: never has to work again. She never has to try. I can't. I mean, I think she tries to be famous and loved, but I don't think she's doing anything for money, and I don't think she's working too hard. No. So whether it artistically, but definitely. Promotionally, like he cares. Everyone who's gonna know her in the world already knows her. Yeah. What do what yeah. else can you do? Like, so she just puts out the albums that she likes whenever she gets around to it. I think she's done like three albums since, kind of scattered. I mean, four, I think the I
1: think the thing with someone like Glenn Ballard for um for this particular record, probably most of what he would have done would have been editing her and trying to, like, shape what her ideas into a form that really worked. And you can hear that on You Ought to Know. You can hear, like, the way that he's taken her kind of, probably what was pretty stream of consciousness, like, Things happening in her head after the guy from Full House dumped her. Yeah, because that is what this song is about. I know. And um, and the guy from Full House has said in interviews that yeah, he was shaking in his boots and like he he really does feel bad about the stuff in this D- song.
2: Dave Coolier, I believe. Dave Coolier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, Joey. Think, I,
1: feel, I think
0: the best bit yes. was that he remembers the phone call in the middle of dinner. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's
0: oh, <laughs> oh, <no, no>, no. <laughs> spoken of in the song. <laughs>
1: yeah. so. and I mean, Alanis has sort of talked about how it's you know. It's not necessarily about him, but it is. Yeah, no, it is. I just,
0: I just like that the rumours of who else it could be about includes Bob, Bob Saget.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, I read that recently. Look, there, there was also, when MTV hired Jay and Silent Bob to do a lot of sort of sketches in between songs in the 90s, there was one where, like, it would just be Jay and Silent Bob almost doing Beavis and Butthead, just hanging out in front of the the Quickie Mart place in Clerks and just yep. chatting about music. And one of yep. them was... Uh, Jay telling Silent Bob that he was the guy in this song <laughs> <laughs> and all the regrets he had and how he treated her and I think they got Alanus to play the role in the flashbacks of him telling the story. So, oh, <laughs> she,
2: she showed up in a um, in a Kevin Smith film. Dogma. She was in Dogma. Yeah. She played God. Oh, yeah, yeah there the you go. Yeah, so they must Dogma. have been friends, right? Yeah. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> I also wonder how much that this particular song coloured what the what many in the public perceived her to be because it is such a ferocious song and it is yeah. it's a woman being unashamedly and defiantly out there about these these feelings. She's daring you to call her a bunny boiler. Yeah. And I <laughs> yeah. Think, I think maybe a lot of people saw her as that. Mm. And for well, some of the record buying public that's probably going to but, turn them off
1: but that was the um that was the thing about this song in a lot of ways that like that she put everything out there with that like some of the lines in this um in this song are just things that you know given a seven second reflection you'd edit that line and not say that particular thing <laughs> like um but like you know you know the thing about going down on him in the theater yeah. and then like talk, being perverted and all that kind of stuff it's the kind of thing that like you know she obviously put out there but like you probably wouldn't put that out there at you know, today, like she's older and wiser now, and it's not the kind of thing she would probably do in a song. But the fact that she did it, and in that kind of Taylor Swifty kind of way, is, um, is part of the attraction to the song because she is furious. She's not editing herself, she's just, you know, putting everything out there. And there's something about that that's um, really attractive um, from a musical kind of point of view.
3: I, I was uh, actually, it might be not a good time to plug now that me and Casey were on another podcast uh, <laughs> Pod farce. Uh, we'll have a link on the blog, but we talked about this, but you got cut, which is I saw this covers band where uh, we were talking about worst covers bands we ever saw. And I saw this covers band where it was like just woman and keyboard player in like a pub setting, terrible, doing like just terrible songs, working class man sort of stuff. And then the keyboard broke down. And it was sort of kerfuffle. And so what she did was she sang the a cappella version of the hidden track the hidden, yeah. of this Alanis Morissette record, <laughs> I Went To Your House. Yeah. And such a weird song. Went and took a shower. And he shower when he wasn't there. Um, <laughs> like, just weird. But, like, I just... That song just mean, meant so much to her, obviously, and means mm. so much to women. Like, I mean, that side of it, that whole... All the facets of that record, I think, connected with women in a way that I can understand, can look at it from afar but I don't really understand it
2: but it also connected like yeah to say, me well that's right but it connected with all of us I mean we all had yeah. the record you know and saying yeah. that it connected with women is 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 one thing because it certainly had part of it but it connected with a whole bunch of teenage boys as well didn't it yeah, yeah. you know yeah. which is a really interesting thing it connected with 30 people around the world which I think is <laughs> the actual figure 30, isn't it 30 people 30 million people around the world, 30. So there's 26
3: other people in the world. You got
0: one of them?
4: Email us. Yeah. Yeah. 90% hits.
0: Casey, if you could give a little roll of the die there. Okay, so the film that has come up is More Rats, which means it's Casey's pick. Now, let's see what we all thought Casey would choose. Tim Byron.
1: I thought Casey would choose This Is A Call by the Foo Fighters. Interesting.
3: I, I thought Casey would choose When I Come Around by Green Day.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: I also chose This Is A Call by Foo Fighters. Casey. Ladies and gentlemen,
2: This Is A Call by Foo Fighters. That was a good call. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Visiting is pretty. Visiting is good.
0: Fighters, Casey's pick for this choose your own adventure episode. So, Casey, would you care to tell us why? Oh, because it's
2: just such a fucking great song. Why else? <laughs> um, this song—it spoke to me so much. In uh, you know, when I was fifteen or sixteen or whatever the hell, uh, probably fifteen by the time I first heard this song. There was so much in this that that I loved from the first second. Because I was such—I was at that point such a guitar and and rock and roll kind of nerd but from the first second where you know the first couple of seconds on the track are the sounds of him plugging in an electric guitar before Mm, he starts singing Mm. and like I I just loved that the fact that that was on record and that I could tell what it was and I thought it was really cool because I knew that that's what was going (laughs) on um I love the fact that the lyrics made absolutely no sense, and they still don't. Um, it was one of the first time I'd heard a um, uh, what I will lovingly refer to as a guitar guitarmony, which at the very end, um, <laughs> there's the two guitars that play in um, in harmony through uh, through the um, the outro, which is great. Mm. Um, and I just I just absolutely love it. It just there was a an energy to it that I. Hadn't really felt before, um, and I loved it. And it also, I never actually liked Nirvana at the time, um, mainly because of the other people who liked them. And I like Nirvana a lot now, but I never liked them then. And this, I think, just gave me something out of that to really latch onto and 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 like. I was like, oh, but I like this, and I have this on CD single. Wow. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Um, and the, and when I found out blew my brains out when i found out that he played all the instruments and like this was one of the first examples that where somebody had told me that yeah he actually did everything by himself and that absolutely blew me away and i still think it's great and i listen to it often it's not even a matter of listening to it this week even though i did for the purposes of this but i listen to it this, to this and the whole record all the time it's great tim byron
1: well yeah with this song um, I was so sure that Casey was going to choose this um, that I decided, seeing this was going to be my first choice, that I would let Casey make his <laughs> choice first <laughs> <laughs> and then choose my second choice, which was You Ought to Know. So you hedged your bets and, yeah, fair enough. So, so I, I hedged my bets and um, I, I won that bet. Yep, and so, enough. yeah, I, I, for me, this song, the thing I remember about this song was I remember going to the local Kmart, I think it was the local Kmart, back when they sold, like, cassette singles and stuff like that. And at the end of '95 or so, it was about the time when cassette singles stopped being a thing, when yeah. they started like graduating to CD singles. And so I remember seeing at the um, in the bargain bin, like there were a whole bunch of like cassette singles for like a dollar or two dollars each. And this was one of them. This is a call by the Foo Fighters. Now this was a song that I hadn't actually heard. I think I knew who the Foo Fighters were, and I knew that they were kind of like a, a in my mind they were like a heavy band. And so I um. I bought this for, like, a dollar or two and took it home and listened to it for the first time. And um, at that time in my life, I sort of remember the thing with um, with something like the Foo Fighters was I didn't really know what they sounded like, but I was kind of scared that they might end up sounding like, you know, what Sepultura or Pantera sound like. Right. Like, I, I was kind of like, I wanted the sort of heavy sounds, but I also wanted the pop. I, I wanted the kind of you know, heavy guitars and, like, the anger and things like that, but I wanted, like, a melody and I wanted... Um, you know, song structure and things like that, because, you know, I was, as you can tell from having talked to me on this podcast for, you know, the whole of the 90s up until this point, I like pop. Yeah. And so I was kind of scared that the Foo Fighters, who I hadn't really heard, but I knew kind of I, that I might like them, I was sort of scared that they'd be like Pantera or Sepultura. And so I got home and listened to it, and I was like, this is just a pop song. It's just got loud guitars. This is awesome. Yeah. It was what I wanted. Yeah. And, and so I... um I was like, oh, this stuff exists! Like, you can have songs that are like loud and heavy, but they also have melodies." And I was like, "Wow, this is great! This is what I wanted!" And um, and so this was what I wanted to hear in late '95. Awesome. And um, I I got it and I listened to it. And I don't think I really knew that it, he was the Nirvana guy who was who played drums in Nirvana. I don't think that was on my mind. It was just like a band that I'd heard the name of. Um, I was probably a fan of the X Files by this point, so I knew what a Foo Fighter was. A Foo Fighters, a... Um, X-Files, you know, Foo Fighters are like another name for UFOs early on, and so I was like, this seems like, I know what that is, I know what that is, I think I'm going to try this. I tried it, I liked it, and yeah,
3: Foo Fighters, pretty good. Yep. Danny? Uh, I think I discovered this song after I heard Big Me. Right. So I think I was pretty late mm-hmm. to the game, uh, and I do have it on that Hottest 100, which is is on, and it used to get played a lot on that disc. Listening to it uh, and it was a fine song. I liked it. It was kind of within my wheelhouse back in the day. Like I like that sort of rock stuff. Listening to it this week, I realized I have no idea what the lyrics are. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, I was trying to think. Like, I think this is the song that sounds with, that starts with Byzantine is pretty. It's not Byzantine. It's visiting. Visiting. Yeah. I look at the lyrics and I go, I don't think I got a single <laughs> line right. But I could sing you the whole song. Yeah. It's like Byzantine is pretty. Byzantine is good. Since like all I ever wanted was a color this came and then just like every single word it's just like and then it's just that it's revelation dip, which you dip, had
0: yeah different version of Michael Stipe you know, <laughs> basically but then, but then it's <laughs> about it's,
4: you know it's,
2: it's about heroin I'm just kidding
3: it's about the guy from Full House um,
4: <laughs> and,
3: and yeah it's just that thing of like it's such a great melody and a great song that the fact that it is nonsense and like yeah I think I had this thing that it was a, a song Roughly about resigning from your job Because of the past P- resignation, And that's yeah. it That's all I have to go for And yes. nothing else in the song really <laughs> supports it um, But yeah It's not really a song I listen to that much anymore I have a Foo Fighters Greatest Hits on my iPod And it sort of does me I never really bought any of the albums I've got The Color and The Shape mm-hmm. But obviously Dave Grohl's a legend And I, can, I just watched Sound City this week and Oh really? Yeah And it's fantastic Uh, it's one big dead girl selfie but it's a pretty good selfie and uh, yeah so I like the band Uh, yeah and this song it's not really my favourite Foo Fighters song not by really a long way but yeah it's a great little rock song
0: yeah uh, it's it's a monster isn't it (laughs) it's just such a great big heavy guitar song but Tim Byron's right there's a real solid pop song at it's core and it's just fuzzed up and roughed up um, in, in all the right ways and yeah the the whole the buzz around this of Dave Grohl being from Nirvana and that he played everything on it and this this was a passion project that he would started recording whilst he was still drumming for for Nirvana. Uh, this song was written after Kurt Cobain died. I think one of the few ones between um, his death and Dave Grohl releasing this album, which was predominantly made of songs he'd written on the road. And yeah, there was quite a lot of a lot of buzz around that. And yeah, it was just. Fascinating hearing this because yeah, where from from my perspective as as a fourteen year old, drummers in big rock bands weren't also singers and guitarists. And uh, maybe buying into cliches about drummers here, but maybe, <laughs> not, maybe not the most multi talented people. But Dave Grohl is one of the most multi talented uh, people that you'll find out there. And yeah, began his life as a guitarist and and songwriter. And, look, just kind of going back to what I was saying about You Ought to Know and that sounding to me very tinny and, for mine, Dave Navarro and Flea stinking it up, hmm. it could have sounded like this yeah. as a heavy yeah. song. And this sounds... Yeah. this. You could release that today. It sounds perfect. perfect. You, if you release You Ought to Know today, it sounds terrible. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, just what you would have been capable of at the time, this... this shows exactly what uh, what the possibilities were mm. at the time, and they were quite staggering, really, because this is an amazing-sounding song.
3: Do you know, there's, there's there's something for me about this song which it doesn't sound like a lot of rock, especially radio rock, where... And I think it is Dave Grohl, because he just... You know, if he said, I'm going to write a rock album signed to a major label, they'd be like, yeah, let's get, get Glenn Ballard or some other sort of... Jack Joseph Puig to come produce it and make it sound like every other classic rock song mm. but the fact that A, it was Dave Grohl so basically he could tell anyone to just turn around and just show yourself the door mm-hmm. and B, mm. he loves more than Black Sabbath like he loves you know, Replacements and Velvet Underground and all the weird and stuff the and the Beatles and, and the Beatles and he knows yeah. all of the history and, yeah, and yeah, Tom yeah, he yeah. played with so, and so well, so he, he, makes he
0: almost a- became Tom Petty's drummer he did in lieu of releasing this album yeah.
3: so it's so... Like, in a sense, compared to something like Live, which was around this time, right? It is so stripped (laughs) back.
2: Yeah.
4: It is so raw. That
3: sound that you mentioned.
2: Well, you know the story behind this record, like, I don't know if you guys have watched the Foo Fighters documentary, but um, basically after Nirvana, um, well, after Kurt Cobain died and it was, you know, about a year later and he had a whole bunch of songs and decided to just go by himself. He rented, like, a week in a low-tech studio. And made this record just because he wanted to make it, and um, and that pretty much what ended up being released was what he came out yeah. at the end of that week with, with pretty much no change. Like it may have been mastered differently or whatever, yeah, he, but but, so it was, yeah, there, but there was no record company involved
1: yeah. before he went. Were they it. written
3: when he was in Nirvana? And uh, he
1: ever to get these so. songs? most no, no, of no. them were most of them, yeah, were. Most of them yeah. were. Oh, were. This okay. is a call wasn't, but most of them were. Because
3: he had a couple of songs on B sides of Nirvana singles. Were, were these? Yeah, sort like of, Marigold. Yeah, so were these songs oh, I for that. that?
0: No, I think they were very. He he. Foo Fighters was kind of a passion project of his, and these songs were specifically for that. Yeah, right. And they do differ quite a bit from Nirvana as far sure. as what what yeah. they are doing melodically. And
1: I think, but it's not all things. I was think passed. Mary, I no Mary uh, with was a co-write with Kurt Cobain or Kurt Cobain had some sort of say in the production or something like that. I think it was something along those lines. I read something about that recently with the reissue of In Utero.
3: Oh, I think it's it's mainly a Dave thing. And I think there's no secret that Dave was writing songs when he was in Nirvana mm. and trying yeah, to get him into the albums and stuff like that. I think that was sort of, you know, one of the things that he brought in and um, they would talk about that in interviews and stuff like that, that Dave writes songs. I remember that mm, mm. from being a Nirvana fan. But yeah, it's whether. Yeah, I guess it's just interesting for me whether those were the songs or did he just go and write twelve songs in the studio because he had a new sing- maybe a little
2: from Colame, a little from Cole yeah, yeah said, I guess it was, sure. it was basically
0: built up over a number yeah. of years and he went in and re- yeah. recorded them. He wasn't looking for a record deal no. or anything like that. And if that was to happen, he did not want to be Dave Grohl from Nirvana. He just wanted it to be released. As <laughs> That's Foo why fighters he called it Foo Fighters as yeah, a guy with a question mark for a
3: head. Yeah, he does. Dave Grohl yeah. does have the the McCartney thing. Which is, I, I have this thing where I remember watching Wingspan with my brother. And my brother, yeah. you know, I love my brother. He's a he's a music fan to some degree, but he's not a big music fan. And because of that, when he talks about music, he's really insightful because he doesn't have the baggage. you yeah. we're watching Wingspan, and you're just seeing member after member after member leave Paul McCartney. And my brother just goes, why does Paul McCartney keep trying to want to be in a band? He can just do everything himself.
4: Yeah. Like, and you're
3: like, yeah, why do you? And the same with Dave Grohl in these early years. It's like... He did this whole amazing record on his own, but then he really wanted to be in a band. He absolutely wanted yeah, to be, and, a he, band. and he
0: wanted yeah. people to tour with as well. Yeah. yeah, he
3: just didn't want to be alone. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. That's great. But that's people left.
0: That's evidently just, part of his character as well that you get from interviews. He's he's a very personable, engaging person who yeah. likes people around him. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing, just quickly before we we tie this up. To, um, Talking about the sound and the whole thing, that he did this himself, just, I think that helps him in a way with this album that, for me, hasn't happened on subsequent Foo Fighters albums. And, look, I'm a guy who feels as though if you've heard one Foo Fighters song, you have heard them all. It's a great song, but... just, mm. yeah, just <laughs> but just with this with this first album, because he played everything on it, that his instincts as a drummer, that opening beat of this song, is just it, in a similar way to say, it smells like Teen Spirit. That really just grabs you.
1: Well, head I mean, he and played and all the drums you... on
0: the
2: second record as well. Mm. Um, the 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 story in the um, Foo Fighters documentary is that they had like he had a, a rhythm section mm. um, that toured this record, yeah. and then that band went in to make the second record and they tracked everything and then he just like day by day replaced the drum parts that the other drummer put down and all yeah. of that and it was a bit you know if you yeah. like i don't
1: he know he hadn't got taylor hawkins in by that point. he hadn't had taylor no, hawkins no, in t- by t- that t- stage so
2: taylor came after yeah. that third
1: record, record. Uh, right, third record
2: okay. which is a nice way to tie us back to lanus morissette um, because uh, Taylor Hawkins joined the Foo Fight left the Alanis Morissette touring band to join the Foo Fighters uh, and
3: I saw Alanis Morissette live which means With I pal- saw Taylor we saw Taylor Hawkins and I saw Taylor's <laughs> j- the first song of The encore where Alanis Morissette hopped on the drums uh, and Taylor rapped out the front oh some two-less songs <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I still I, lo- I still love the Foo Fighters and I, and I think for me they've had um, out of I don't know what six or seven studio records there's been two duds, you know, um, oh, yeah. but I think the last one's really good. I think they've, um, sort of come back up the top and they've kind of taken a break now, which I think is a good call. Cause I think they're about done for now. Um, but I saw them last year at the football stadium and they were brilliant and you know, it's great. I love them.
1: Yeah. For me, like, I really like the first two Foo Fighters albums and then the rest is kind of something missing from them. And it may as well be Dave DeGaulle's drums. Um, but those first two albums I quite like and the rest, it's, you know, there's good songs here and there, but otherwise the rest, they're probably a um, greatest hits band for me. But those first two albums, something about the sound of the first one, something about some of the songs in the second one, like Everlong and, like, um, you know, Monkey Wrench and stuff, That's just great that I love. And um, But maybe it was just I was paying attention at those times and yeah. later stuff I'd stop paying attention. I was more into, you know, more esoteric things by then.
3: I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I'd I probably go more to the Tim Claw side. Every so often I hear a song on radio and I just think that's amazing. The... It's it's interesting for me how little. I don't mean this necessarily in a bad way, but like there's a very little range in what Foo Fighters do. Sure, um, I, and, I... and they deliberately do that. But the creativity that they mine sometimes, and that like, that's not the best of you. Yeah, it's just so rock and radio, rock and radio friendly, and a catchy song. But it just sounds like no other song. Yeah, and then you just walk around and you just have Long Road to Ruin in your head for a few hours, and it's like, okay, this guy can write a hook. Mm. But I just, yeah, I guess I just don't ever find myself buying an album. For me, they were the perfect greatest hits band. That greatest hits that I do have, Fair I do enough. listen to like a, quite a lot.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, but yeah, i i I totally agree. Where the early tracks, there is a, a fun sort of abandonment-ness that I don't necessarily want a ban on their fourth record to be still doing mm. but that does sound really interesting it's, it's, it's interesting. that whole thing of
0: being on his own in a studio and really cutting loose for the first time and mm. yeah. is, there's a bit of a kid in a candy store feel about yeah. that first album but you that's, don't want yeah. that's great but as Danny says you can't sustain that yeah
3: uh, but hold on just just before we, we move on to Tim Byron um, so does Tim does i uh, oh, sorry Tim does Taylor play drums on subsequent yeah See, that must be the hardest job in the world. To be the drummer in David L's band. Could you you
2: imagine? (laughs) Fucking hell. Just just looking for
3: that approval.
4: (laughs) The guy with the single
0: greatest drum hook (laughs) in history. (laughs) Okay, so we're ready for our next song of the evening, and I have control of the die this time. So let's see what we come up with. So, The die has come up with Before Sunrise, which means it's Danny's choice. So, what did we all think Danny was going to pick,
1: Tim Byron? I thought Danny was going to pick When I Come Around by Green Day.
2: I thought Danny was going to pick A Girl Like You by Edwin Collins. I also thought Danny was going to
0: pick A Girl Like You by Edwin Collins. So, Danny, how did we fare?
3: I chose A Girl Like You by Edwin Collins.
0: Edwin Collins, Danny's choice for Choose Your Own
3: Adventure. Danny, God, this song just sounded like nothing else on the radio, did it? Yeah, Except right. for "Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon." <laughs> 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 yeah. I maybe thought this song. Like I used to get those two songs confused Fair when enough. I was at this age. Yeah. Um, but this song is. Oh, I love d- it!
2: It's you know a deep velvety voice and the word "girl." The yeah, whole lot, exactly. you know? That retro-y Lots of sort 60s of, happens. yeah, <laughs> Um
3: That sort of you yeah. know real. Remember sounds of seduction. That sort of yeah. vibe to it. J Cats. J Cats. Yeah. So yeah, so it was definitely that. Yeah, these two songs in the charts. Maybe this one wouldn't have been as big a hit if the other one wasn't. But um, regardless of the fact, it this was a song. Just one of those singles that I loved and continue to love to this day. There is something that... Fuzz guitar... The fact that I could even choose it, the fact that it even charted in the top 100 is surprising. There's lots of songs that are weird little indie singles that I love. Some, like, largely remembered more than this one by much bigger and more successful bands, but um, definitely yeah this one just was a one-hit wonder and the other side of this is i love edwin collins i love orange juice and this is a bit like talking about short people by randy newman (laughs) they talk about randy newman it is indicative of what he does and he's so cool and he's just so cool in a daggy scottish way but um yeah i love him and i love the band and i'm so glad that this single probably bought him an apartment yeah uh and everyone kind of knows it when i talk about orange juice people don't have to stare blankly at me I go you know a girl like you (laughs) Um, and this song comes on the iPod all the time Um, and it's just a delight for me just that guitar sound that like which one that's the thing there are two
2: great (sighs) guitar sounds going on yeah Yeah. Yeah.
3: and the voice and then um, oh look I mean maybe we'll go into this further but that bit where he goes uh, metaphorically yeah. I'm speaking, allegorically, it is just just one of my favourite me- moments in music. And whenever I'm speaking metaphorically, and that line comes in my head, I want to speak of allegorically. And I'm not sure I knew what either of those words meant before I heard this song. Um, but it's just what a joyous, joyous pop single. This is what One Hit Wonders should be.
2: Casey, uh, yeah, all all of the above. What a
3: th- oh, great song
2: again. Um, I. Don't think I'd heard anything that sounded quite like this before. Um, <laughs> Never heard a song like, like this before. before. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that wank 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 thing that was going on. <laughs> that was like, what the hell is that? And um, his guitar solos in it are, mm. are so like like they're really easy and they're all kind of pretty much within the one scale, but they're so beautifully played and beautifully pulled off. And that tone is amazing. And they're just so kind of appropriate and, Oh, just, just, just great. Um, and there's that real, like in that section you are talking about, there's this real, um, heightened emotion. He starts getting really worked up and Mm. you get into it. And like the vocal performance is, is brilliant. And, and he was just kind of out of nowhere. And, To bring up, yet again, um, this other thing, this other 90s reference that we keep coming to, like The Late Show or whatever, or Weird Al Al Yankovic, I saw him mime this on Hey Hey It's Saturday. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I know. It's just so bizarre. But, like, great. And when... I saw that you had indeed picked this. Um, I was so happy to, to ha- kind of have the excuse to go and listen to it a whole bunch of times this mm. week. I was bummed that it wasn't up on a streaming service, so I had to, you know, I had to yeah, that's find strange, it on isn't YouTube, it? which is a good odd. Um, but yeah, love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Mm. Tim Byron, what's your relationship with Edwin Collins?
1: Yeah, for, the, for me, this song is um, one I probably heard three or four times at the time. Like, it's not a song I, I remember hearing that much. I remember sort of thinking it was great but I don't think it's kind of it really stuck with me at the time and it was only relatively recently when I went and um and on my quest to find every uh 100% hits and hit machine of the 90s and um and buy them and, and own them that I came back across this song listening to some of them and I listened to this song in the context of some of that kind of stuff like you know alongside Nikki French and like Hocus Pocus and Peter Andre and stuff and this one just <laughs> stood out like a, a yeah, sore bad. thumb you know like it it was just like what what was this how did this manage to get into the charts and um and yeah so like it's only been a couple of years ago probably that i started really liking this song and um and yeah, it's it's great, it really is. Like everything everyone else was saying was the stuff I was going to say about the great guitar tone and about the, the sound of his voice. Um, it's got that kind of, like it feels sort of like a Motown song in a in a funny kind of way, but kind of more twisted and weird than Motown ever got. The, the drum sound the, is very Motown. I, I see what you mean. It's got yeah. that tambourine against the snare drum thing that's very yeah. Motown, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually a sample from a song, like that drum sound is a sample from the song uh, 123 by Len Barry, which was like a Motown sound alike from 66 or so. There you go. Um, so, so there you go. And he's got that kind of like Elvisy kind of vo- thing in his voice, like, kind of thing that Elvis does. <laughs> and so like, you know, you, you take that kind of Elvisy thing and you take Motown and you put them together and it sounds good and you sort of twist it and make it a bit weird and, and, and sexy and it totally works. And um, the thing I do remember about this song was that it was from a commercial. Uh, it it was on like a Levi's commercial, I think, if I remember correctly.
2: Ah, uh, was it one of those? Because I remember like quite a. There was this time in the nineties where a few. It, it was it was sort of like the um, the iPod yeah. commercials of a few years earlier, yeah, where the songs got famous from being on jeans ads. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
1: And so it was one of those, which they obviously like wanted a song to sort of um, to you know evoke the kind of paranoid sexuality that like this one evokes and and so they found this song and it worked for them like it must have been played a few times on the um on the tv as an ad and that's probably where i heard it more than actually hearing the whole song so i remember hearing that on the ad and thinking this is a cool song but not ever thinking much more of it and then yeah coming back to it a couple of years ago and thinking wow this is great because it is it's it's just great Mm. tim yeah, so, when I was 14, I kind of flitted in between
0: liking it and not liking it. Oh, really? Because, yeah, at, at, at first... What's I first, not to like? Well, when, <laughs> it, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, wow, this is like nothing I've ever heard before. But repeated exposure to it kind of meant, eh, maybe I don't like it so much okay. this week. And then the week after, I'd be, no, nah, actually, I was wrong. This is great. But now I'm an adult. is fucking amazing.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: That that sample beat we're talking about just holds it all together so well. I love the psychedelic, um, parts of it. And just the, the, those little references to that kind of 1960s acid drenched um, scene that go along with it. It's, um, the film clip's very good in a very stark, black and white, creepy kind of way. But he could have just had a bunch of go-go dancers it
4: <laughs> gyrating was quite sort around
0: of the, him. Saw bass James Bond, yeah, Bobby, very, it? very it much, much so. Sort of and it was, yeah, it was quite sinister and and moody. And yeah, that's that's kind of what. Edwin, Co- Edwin Collins does that's, it. that's his aesthetic and it's interesting that uh, Tim Byron brings up the Motown thing because Orange Juice were very much about Northern Soul and yeah. that that is the music he loves uh, and, and not doing it, it very well that not he returns really to it. time <laughs> and time again but uh, yeah and obviously their better work were, were, was their punk songs but um, yeah I, I've become a huge fan of, of Orange Juice uh, after a lecturer of mine um, turned me onto them when um, we'd had a discussion and Bell and Sebastian came up and my lecturer was from Edinburgh and just said, nah, Bella and Sebastian are crap. Listen to Orange, Orange Juice. <laughs> uh, which I subsequently did. Who were well, yeah. also from Glasgow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Edwin Collins is from Edinburgh. So oh, there you okay. <laughs> um. Possibly explains a few things. But Orange Juice is uh, incredible. And as Danny says, that you've got a little bit of an entree to them in this song, which everyone knows. And I... I don't encounter many people who don't like this song.
3: Yeah, look, the the other reason I did choose this song was my love for Edwin Collins, and it took a few years to connect the dots, but my love of everything Scottish pop and postcard record, when I don't really care that much about so many indie scenes anymore, like, you know, I'd listened to them five, six years ago, ten years ago, I'm fine with them, but I still find joy in those early... Joseph K. records, Aztec camera records, Orange Juice records, those two go between singles on postcard, all that sort of stuff, and then everything that came off it. And yeah, and Edwin, and poor Edwin, um, I, I guess for Casey and, and Tim Byron, maybe you, you don't know, but he actually had like real health problems in the last couple of years. He had a stroke oh. in 2005,
0: but he's released an album this year. Yes, okay. uh, uh, So yeah, he's gotten back to being able to play and to sing. And yeah, it's, it's quite a moving album um, because he just
3: addresses everything head on. And He wasn't a great guitar player before, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> to, be, to be fair. But, and, uh, yeah everybody playing from Aztec Camera plays on it, so it's a bit of like a postcard records reunion, mm-hmm. but it's fantastic. But, you know, I just wish him well, I guess. It's
0: a a beautiful album, and yeah, it's a real testament to his strength of character and just his abilities as as a songwriter um, to, yeah, just be able to overcome those difficulties in the past few years to, yeah, produce work that's as consistent as he's ever done. And he's nothing if not consistent as a songwriter. He's not necessarily the greatest performer, as Danny says, but. There's a sincerity in him playing his own songs, and his songs are so weird (laughs) (laughs) that if anyone else performed them, they wouldn't come
3: off, necessarily, I don't think. The person he he most reminds me of is Jonathan Richmond. Yeah. You know, another guy with a very, very low voice and Elvis fixation, (laughs) and just, yeah, no one else does what they do. They're both just weird, wacky pop guys, and yeah... And, yeah, it's great. And it's great having just Yeah, I was really sad when Edwin had the stroke and that everyone just thought he was going to die or, at the very least, never talk or play music again. And the fact that he came back... And, you know, I feel the same way about Glenn Campbell now. Uh, I feel the way, same way about Wilco Johnson now from uh, Dr. Feelgood, who, you know, everyone says he's got maybe six months left in him. But... You know, I've just you've just seen people sort of go past it, and Edwin Collins is such a great example of that. So,
1: go mm. Edwin. Well, so, I'm I'm yeah. actually
2: quite ignorant to a lot of this. Um, I know of Orange Juice, but I haven't really listened to to any. The only thing um, that has been notable to me that Edwin Collins has produced in the last number of years is that um, he well, literally produced a record, a really random record, by a band that few people have heard of. That just for some reason. Um, I really latched onto a few years ago and I was working on a record shop and it was this band called Little Barry. Did you guys ever heard it hear it? Do you hear that yeah. first record called We Are Little Barry? And yeah. Edwin Collins produced it and I loved it. And it sounds yeah, really. absolutely awesome. And when I when I saw who produced it, I was like, Oh, I, you know, I remembered from from this song and knew about Orange Juice. But apart from that, I've just never maybe I somebody should do me a um
1: Theoretical C90, C90
2: of uh,
1: Orange Juice. Yeah. yeah, it So yeah, so where should we start with Orange Juice? Tell us. Well, like, the, I don't really the, know. The, that. Glasgow uh, of, the
0: Glasgow School yeah, best Off. the Glasgow School best Off things. Kind of um, right.
3: It's the best of the postcards. So the the strange about Orange Juice is that they essentially did three records on three different labels. Right. Um with uh uh with they were on this great label called Postcard. I don't know if you guys know that label. It is yeah. basically one of the most Renowned indie labels in the world they, they coined the phrase Well they didn't coin it They ripped it off Motown actually Which is the sound of young Scotland
2: Right uh, And they had
3: bands like uh, Aztec Camera and stuff on there You probably know Aztec yeah, Camera yeah. Or you know Fountains of Wayne Covering Aztec Camera Of course uh, no, I know no. <laughs> Aztec Camera <laughs> and, uh, uh, and Go Between's assigned to it But then uh, After that they got signed to Polydor And they released a fantastic album called uh, You Can't Hide Your Love Forever uh, Which uh, Yeah someone bought me that record Like they handed me this they found it for $5 in a record shop and they said, Danny, you've got to hear this, you know, around the time that I was 17 and fell in love. And then they signed to another of Universal and had a big hit in the UK with a song called Rip It Up um, and that album. And then they pretty much broke up after that kind mm. of disappeared. They put out a box set recently called Coles to Liverpool, I think, with all eight of their albums eventually mm. in a deluxe box set. But the Glasgow school collects the early singles. Many of which were, were re-recorded for their first album okay. and have better so, versions. Yeah,
0: um, Blue Boy was the other yeah. single, which is a ferocious mm. pop song, which is essential. Um, but yeah, as Dennis says, the Glasgow School is the is the place to start. And Falling and does that stuff
1: sort of does that stuff sort of sound like a girl like you? Does it doesn't no. have the same kind of? Some of it does, but most no, of it's... it... it
0: He's stylistically all over the place, which is what's great about it. Is it kind of punky, did you say? Or... Yeah. It's, it's kind of velvety. In it's spots, kind of, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, in Spots, very punky. Others, very Elephant very six... Others, oh. he does that soul thing. It's, yeah, it, it is all over the place.
3: Yeah, it's Elephant Six. It's, uh... You know, it's it's Scottish indie pop. That's <laughs> yeah. what it is. Oh, wow. Well. So... Well, Bella I like Teenage Fan Club. Yeah, Teenage
0: Fan Club. I mean... He's, <laughs> he's, Edward, he's Edward Collins and he does what the hell he wants. So. Yeah. So,
3: yeah. What a legend.
0: So, we've come to the final choice of the evening, which is mine. And that means the film is The Usual Suspects. So, I'm curious to see what everyone thought I was going to pick.
3: Danny. I thought you would pick... Nick Cave and Kylie with Where the Wild Roses mm, Grow. Uh-huh. Tim Byron.
1: I also thought you'd choose Where the Wild Roses Grow by Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue.
2: I thought you'd choose You Ought to Know by Linus Myers. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I was going to choose Party
0: by Christine Arnoux, but then I remembered it was my choice. So <laughs> I actually chose Somebody's Crying by Chris Isaac. Somebody's Crying by Chris Isaac which is my choice for Choose Your Own Adventure and I've got a lot of time Chris Isaac um I I didn't I didn't before this song came out I had heard Wicked Wicked Game and didn't love it um in my mind, Chris Isaac was someone who my mum loved. Uh-huh. And we'll probably get, get into that aspect of his, his audience in a bit. Uh, but when I heard this song on the radio, it, it's such a... For me, it's an irrepressible song. It's just such a perfect uh, encapsulation of what Chris Isaac does and uh, his grasp of evoking that 50s period. Um, listening to it now... It, it, it only gets better for me. Um, the contrast between the very hushed verses and the big soaring chorus and just the way his voice is able to tie those together. I mean, it's such a big gear change, but it doesn't feel like it. Uh, it feels like a very natural progression. And look, vocally, he just knocks it out of the park. He knocks everything out of the park. He's such an amazing singer. And... The big thing for me with this song, and a lot of Chris Isaac's work, is that he doesn't try to do anything too spectacular, As far as far at least as far as the band is concerned. They're just doing the bare essentials of what needs to be done. Every instrument is just doing what it needs to do. It's not doing anything special, or it, like the 12-string guitars there, it's just little touches, the drumming in it's great, and... It's not spectacular, it's just doing the absolute bare essentials, but that it manages to be such a great song um, without trying to sell itself too much. Uh, the band knows that the, the their biggest selling point is his voice, and they just do everything to frame that as best they can, and they do it really, really well. So, uh, I'm curious to see what others think, because Chris Isaac's a bit of a funny one. Um, so...
1: Tim Byron. Yeah, um, for me, Somebody's Crying. It's just, like Tim Coyle said, it's just a great pop song. Um, Chris Isaac does Roy Orbison fantastically well. Um, if he ever wanted a career, all he needed to do was put on the big shades and um, a black wig and, like, he could be Roy Orbison and he would be fantastically great at it.
3: And he'd get a um, lot less chicks, but, you know, it's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. And his life would be much worse because, like, Roy Orbison just had the horrible life, of course. <laughs> um, and you know that, that curse would just be passed on to him, but um, but yeah, you know this is that that sound of Roy Orbison that Chris Isaac nails. Um, it's just it is a great sound of a voice, like just that kind of that the sort of repressed emotion that you can hear welling in his voice, and then it comes out in the chorus. It's it's great, and um, and yeah, I'm happy that Tim Coyle chose this one because, uh, it was one I was thinking about choosing. It's a great song. Um, the, the thing, the thing that makes it different to Roy Orbison is that like it, it's it's a pretty relaxed kind of backing band. Like Roy Orbison like had that kind of kitchen sink kind of like everything's in there. And this is just kind of like a, a fairly happy go lucky kind of song, a sounding song. The lyrics aren't happy go lucky. They're kind of you know someone just dumped him. And um, lyrics have that kind of conceit of I know somebody and he cries you know he cries your name. It's like I know that person. It's me. <laughs>
4: yeah, it's
1: pretty obvious. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really nice song. It's got a, such a great feel to it. Um, you know, he sings it beautifully. What's not to love? Danny.
3: So, yeah. Okay, so my first encounter with Chris Isaac, I'm just looking it up now. Um, as the only real comic person here, to Coel, did you ever read Starman? Yes. So this, Starman is this comic book series that came out maybe a year before, like 93, 94, uh, where we're talking about now. And in the very first sort of four-issue arc, which is the origin of this character... There is this amazing scene. And it's it's one of the most renowned comics of all time. It's very referential for history. Oscar Wilde is a character in this Freaking, It's very literary. But there's just one bit where these two characters fight off Starman and the son of... the And there's just this really funny scene where he just goes, look, I might not be like you. I might not be as cool as you. I might be the failure's son. And then he punches him in the face and goes, but compared to you, I'm Chris Isaac. <laughs> and I'd never heard of Chris Isaac before. <laughs> And there was no internet, so I couldn't look him up. And then a year later, this guy has his hit. And I just went, that's the guy. And so for me, everything about Chris Isaac is his... From then on was, he is ice cool. Right. And, oh, wow. and he is. He's totally ice cool. This week, actually, the only person I haven't seen live is Edwin Collins. I've seen every other act live. And Chris Isaac live was amazing. He came out in a, a disco ball suit for the yeah. encore, which I think apparently he is his shtick. I've only seen him once. And this song Yeah The marvellous Restraint of it The Roy Orbison But really The restraint And the fact that It could be a hit It was one of those things Where I went Ooh it's a hit And maybe it's not so much The song But the man And uh, various sexy film clips That he does But um And he's so charming And so cool Like As much as I don't listen To that much Chris Isaac He falls into the boat Of Will Smith Where it's just like Yeah I'll see that guy Be interviewed He just seems like The funniest Coolest Most charming man um, so yeah, I this is his best song for me, and yeah, it's a great song, Casey. So, is this the
2: Chris Azak song where he hits that uh high falsetto and <laughs> <laughs> kicks it for a bar in the chorus? Is that this one, or is that Oh, no, that's all of them. Sorry. Um,
4: no. <laughs> sorry,
2: no, I um, that aside, um, I, I, I really do like this, and I, I don't know if it's I would probably put Wicked Game in front of it, mm. um. Probably only just. Um, I do really like this. And, and there is something, I think I like Chris Isaac, the man, which is similar to what you are saying, Danny. I think I like Chris Isaac, the man, probably more than the music, but the fact that he makes some, like, like so extremely palatable songs, you know, yeah. um, that the fact that he's just obviously a great dude, a really funny, charming man, and really um, interesting performer or engaging performer at least Um, it really helps Um, I I don't think there's a lot else to, to really be said for it I don't remember it much beyond the, again, to get back to, and I guess this comes back to what you were saying, Tim Coyle before that we would get into is his kind of demographic. Like, he's very much, like, I saw him on Hey Hey It Saturday, probably more than, I reckon, um in terms of international artists on Hey Hey at Saturday, it was probably a race between Chris Isaac and Harry Connick Jr. to who was on the most. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a, a similar kind of. The
3: housewives loved him.
2: Exactly. Well, there's a, there's a, there would have been that thing
0: when Chris Isaac walked into the record company and dollar signs would have robbed around mm-hmm. in their eyes just knowing <laughs> yeah. that every mum over 40 is going to buy this guy and then record. he opens and his mouth and sings yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that just holds matters that <laughs> and that, yeah. that's the odd thing he has that demographic those are the people who buy the records but look, I buy the records too. Um, yeah. um, he He's just great at what he does. And he decided early on, I'm just going to plant my flag in that Sun Records kind of yeah. area and do that. And it also, for me, I did not know this at the time, but it became apparent pretty quickly. But David Lynch was probably the guy who got him his big break because he featured yeah. on Blue Velvet right. and Wick Game was in Wild at Heart. Um, um, and it makes total sense that Chris Isaac was something I latched onto, um, at around but, the same yeah. time as David Lynch really started making sense because they do that twisted,
2: sinister Americana thing. So, uh, but Baby did a bad, bad thing is is, is right down that, like, mm, like that yeah, is kind of it's a fantastic. No, nah, that's amazing, and that's got a yeah. real darkness to it mm, that yeah. you might not kind of expect from the hay Head Saturday, mm. you know, loving but, audience. You'd you expect that, to see Baby did a bad, bad thing on the um. Soundtrack to True Blood or something. Well, maybe but it
3: wasn't. The fact that he <laughs> honestly loves that stuff, yeah, makes him great. Like he would, if he looked like someone else, he would still be making this music. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
2: And that's maybe not really as people really would be buying. It. Yeah, not exactly. as many people yeah. would be but buying. Yeah, yeah. I,
3: th- I think there was also that
0: thing. Look, he was on the cover of Rolling Stone after after Wicked Game. He was he was very very hip for a time there, and I just think trends moved on a bit. Yeah, that that Americana. Uh, thing the, the Sun Records thing grunge just came and blew all that away yeah, and, yeah. and the thing is Chris yeah. Isaac just kept doing what he was doing um,
2: he, yeah. he, but he had his audience and he kept them yeah, I, exactly. would, I would yeah, argue exactly. that he has kept and, that audience
0: and there's a, another aspect of his his personality and character as well as others have said if you see him interviewed he's great value and he also had his own TV show the Chris Isaac oh show. it was a sitcom yeah it he was, was a sitcom in, in it. I <laughs> Even the Silver Toes were in it and he played this narcissistic man-child version of himself which is just hilarious yeah. See, I just think and he's so charismatic so I would yeah. love to watch that yeah but yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's definitely that kind of that kind of aspect of what Danny spoke of going to the live shows there's stand-up comedy going on there as well he had he's one an
2: entertainer he had one of the, one say, of the yeah.
0: greatest <laughs> comebacks to a heckler I have ever heard for a guy who had shouted at him for about four straight songs he just kind of When tuning his guitar, said, "Yeah, I remember my first drink as well."
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's just
3: brilliant. When I saw him, someone yelled out, "I love you," and he just went, "Yes, but I still think I should see other audiences." (laughs) 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 Which you think is maybe a prepared line, but it was so great. But the other great thing about the gig is that he kept saying, like throughout the gig, this was in London to like a sea of forty to fifty-year-old women, saying that. You know, we're just a touring band. We're just trying to get petrol into the next town. And, you know, Fred the guitarist doesn't have a place to stay tonight, ladies. Fred doesn't have a place to stay. So if you want him to stay at your house, and he just kept, like, trying to sell off the band. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it got around Fred, and then it got around to Kenny Dale Johnson, and there were no tickets. Yeah, but, like, you know, whatever it was. But, like, that was just so funny. Just added. So for me, just sitting there, I just thought this was the funniest, coolest, fun show. I could imagine. Like, it's just, like, he was so charismatic. So, yeah, it's great. He's such a cool personality.
1: But, yeah, there's something in his music, I think, um, that does make it... It's, it's really movie music in a lot of ways. Mm. Like, there's something in the mm. sound of the music which just makes it sound really cool in the background to some scene of some cool movie. And so, you know, David Lynch did that, as Tim Core pointed out. And um, Baby did a Bad, Bad Thing, uh, which we mentioned before. Like, it was the follow-up single originally to Somebody's Crying. And um, it got like to, you know, 40 in the charts or something like that. And it was re-released in 99 um, on the soundtrack to Eyes Wide Shut, the Kubrick Mm. one. Yeah, That's what it was on. (laughs) Yeah. The Kubrick did a bad, bad thing. And
3: and he was on Triple M. I remember talking about that soundtrack and talking about the main (laughs) theme, which is basically one piano note. And just going... Yeah, what the hell is that guy getting paid? He's <laughs> 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 being really, really rude about it in a funny way, just going, I could have done that. Kubrick wanted me to do that. I could have played that one piano note over and over.
0: Yeah. So so I think the thing for me is that uh, Wicked Game, which I didn't love at first, but I was 10 years old. Yeah. That's not a song that's going to connect with me and I think is he will be remembered for that song um, long, long after we're all gone. And look, for mine, Wicked Game, Jeff Buckley would have thrown his own mother under a bus to write something <laughs> oh, hard. Oh, good. Oh, would somebody please I wish do you did. that
2: to Jeff Buckley's mother? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that brings us to a close of this Choose Your Own Adventure episode of 90% Hits. Uh, before we tie things up, um, I think we just go around the room as we ordinarily do and choose... What is our favourite of the other's songs that were chosen this evening? So, Casey.
2: Um, it's tough. I, it's really tough tonight because I really, really genuinely like all of the songs we listen to. I think I'll, it'll have to go to
1: um, Evan Collins tonight. Tim Byron. Uh, like Casey, um, it's really tough for me because I love all these songs. And um, you pretty much like you guys have picked my, you know, second, third, fourth and fifth choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I reckon, like, the, the one that I relate to the most now, and the one that sort of gets me the most now um, as, a, as an adult is Edwin Collins, a Girl Like You, so I'm going to go for that one as well. Cool.
3: Danny? Well, I can't choose Edwin Collins. Uh, so <laughs> Sucked in. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Life is hard. Um, so I guess I'll have to choose the Foo Fighters. That would be, like, I mean, Alanis wasn't on my iPod. Chris Isaac, lovely song, but that, Chris, that Foo Fighters song is the one. Cool. Tim? Yeah, I can choose Edwin Collins, so I'm going to, <laughs> uh,
2: as, as
0: everyone has said, it's a tough week this week. Because, yeah, yeah we're, um, all four of those songs were definitely in my reckoning for for this week. And yeah, yeah all, all are just fantastic songs.
2: What I've got to say is interesting. Um, at this point... Like, in, at this point, chronologically speaking, Tim Coyle and I were the only two of the four of us that actually knew each other by this stage. Oh, right. But it's interesting mm. to know how close our tastes were even then, you know. It's yeah. like, or they're really starting, you can really start to see them converge or there's a lot of crossover there. It's interesting
3: to see. It yeah. really depends on what you choose as your honourable mention, so. Well,
2: that's true. Well, yeah, that, that kind of was leading us into our
0: honourable mentions. so, yeah, around the grounds as to, as to where we sat. That Danny,
3: yeah, cut my Joe. Um, no,
0: <laughs>
3: why did you think I would choose that?
1: You know what?
2: Because you've brought it up a couple of times, and I just thought you have you have mentioned that at least two or three times on this podcast, and I just thought that you would. I don't know, there's something in you that makes me think that you sit there sinisterly going, I'm gonna make these fuckers you know, to a all, song this week.
3: All the times have seen fucking song. And all the times we've seen you with that rednecks t-shirt and that tattoo <laughs> and contract. <you have laughs> and... <laughs> <part. laughs> um look if there if, if if Edwin Collins wasn't there and maybe like Foo Fighters wasn't there. The song I really would have chosen was Borderfalls by TLC. That was still oh, in the okay. R and world, and it's just probably that is a great song, one of the That's best R and B ballads of the decade. So it's a fantastic song. The other songs really in this world were the other indie-ish singles that got in there. So When I Come Around, Self Esteem, Lightning Crashes, songs by the Cranberries. I didn't want to choose that. Songs by Oasis, and can I just say Never Forget? I take that the most bizarre so- song to ever chart in the Australian charts ever. <laughs> <laughs> Too boring. I don't know
1: but that's the most bizarre song to chart in the Australian charts ever because I'm just looking at the list now and on that list there is <laughs> Can I Touch You dot 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 there <laughs> by <Parker> <laughs> <Orton>. <laughs> and
3: It's the most expensive song I think to chart in the Australian charts in the
1: 90s. Seriously, the ones I, I was thinking of choosing apart from the ones you chose, um, yeah, TLC's Waterfalls is just fantastic. Um, I also have a soft spot for um, Heaven for Everyone by Queen, uh, yeah. the post Freddie Mercury one, which was the first CD single I ever bought. Um, and and Miss Sarajevo by passengers, which was u two, Brian Eno and um, Pavarotti. Just for the the weirdness of that, I, I <laughs> thought about choosing that. Casey.
2: Um, so when I come around, who's somebody who picked I that picked for that me? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that that was definitely up there. Um, and you know what? The um, a couple of things that actually all things that you've already said, Danny. Um, so I actually really loved that Offspring album that came out that year. So. Smash. Um, you smash their self-esteem and come out and play. We're both on that record and yeah. both on the list. And yeah, I could they're both have picked pretty it. good. Yeah. And Lightning Crashes by Live. You know, Live suck ass, but I like them. <laughs> Sorry, I liked them. I like that song. Uh, so, Where the Wild Roses Grow,
0: yeah. which uh, two of you figured I would pick was, was... How close were we? Reasonably close. I probably would have picked something like um, A Girl Like You uh, or... Um, you ought to know ahead of ahead of that, but um, yeah, it, it definitely figured in my thinking. I found it a lean year because right. yeah, there there was a bare handful of things that yeah. you could have picked out of a list of a hundred, but. You know some of those things such as the the green day song when i come around and then there's just kind of the the perverse just for a laugh kind of things uh such as kiss your lips by tokyo ghetto pussy <laughs> or, or uh, scat man uh, yeah i believe short dick man was in there this, this around. Yeah, yeah it was so mm. yeah um slim pickings uh, I think, but we did pretty well out of it. I think so. I think we put, picked four yeah. pretty bloody awesome stuff. Yeah. So, um, before we before we leave our uh, much valued listeners, Casey, would you like to
2: tell us about our online presence? Absolutely. So, you can um, find us pretty much uh, anywhere. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can email us. Uh, at gmail and you can find us on tumblr so we're 90% hits 90 in numbers percent in letters hits also in letters in all of those instances <laughs> and
0: speaking of the tumblr i think tim byron has has a few things to add to that
1: yeah so the tumblr we post lots and lots on the tumblr we post lots of videos and we write about the videos mostly tim coyle and i um we'll, so we'll post the number ones that we talk about here we'll also post other songs by those same artists so you can um you know, see what the Alex kind of stuff that they do. So we'll probably post. Baby did a bad, bad thing, and we'll probably post. Um, I don't know what else have we got from this week. Um, uh, I'll I'll post some uh, some pretty random food Fighter stuff. <laughs> yeah, and we'll I'll post ironic probably, and um, yeah. you know some of the other songs we liked. Oh, so I'll we'll post, post a, a bunch of Irish stuff. Juice.
2: <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs>
1: Cool. Yeah. So yeah, so Cut we post the lots of stuff. In it, half, it's, get a, uh, it's the footnotes. <laughs>
2: so it the Tumblr is head. the footnotes. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Yeah.
1: So the Tumblr is like the footnotes to the podcast, and sometimes, as with David Foster Wallace, the footnotes are even better than the rest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that brings us to a close for this week. And as ever, if you know what happened to Mary, and look, we've gotten a few suggestions here. Um, Mr. Jones <laughs> Joe Lambie <laughs> Innie Kamosi <laughs> Janie and her gun Yeah, uh, well, who yeah, Janie's gun
3: me, um, Kiss Me, Kill Me that Yeah,
0: th- those are just the ones that I've set
1: in uh,
3: to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> Uncle
1: Joey shacked up with after Alanis Yeah, well
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Oh, acts, yeah Acts
1: crazy, so <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, if, you, if you do happen to have any suggestions to add to those, please send them in. We're, we're more than interested in hearing what you've got to, got to say about that issue. But until next week, it's goodbye from us.
1: I know somebody and she cries your name. May hey lie awake night, dream of you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>